Sadly, we know that we have lost Oklahomans to, to this virus, and we know and can anticipate that this will continue to happen. What's going to change the game and keep things moving in the right direction at this point is really individual action. A lot of uncertainty, a lot of fear, um, but I'm just here to tell Oklahomans we are going to get through this. I'm Ben Felder with The Frontier, and this is COVID-19 in Oklahoma, a daily podcast bringing you the latest info and insight into how the coronavirus is impacting our state. Through interviews and conversations, this podcast is about context and clarity during this challenging time. Today is Saturday, April 11th. On today's episode, the Frontier's Cassie McClung and I discuss new modeling data from the state that shows a possible peak in COVID-19 cases in Oklahoma on April 21st. We also discuss the continued issue of Oklahomans accessing coronavirus tests. But first, here's a review of the latest coronavirus numbers. On Friday, the State Department of Health reported 110 new cases of COVID-19 in Oklahoma, bringing the total to 1,794. There are now 428 Oklahomans in the hospital due to the coronavirus, and statewide deaths increased by 8 to 88. Hi, it's Ben, and before we continue with today's episode, I want to say thanks for listening. Our daily podcast numbers continue to grow, and we are going to continue publishing COVID-19 in Oklahoma for the foreseeable future. However, we are going to take a break on Sunday, but our next episode will be back in your feed on Monday. Thanks again for listening. Hey, Cassie, how's it going? It's going good, Ben. How are you? Good. I'm just sitting here in my house. Sometimes I record this in the studio. The sound quality is probably a little bit better, but you and I are connecting via Skype. I'm sitting at my house. I assume you're at your house. Yeah, yeah. No, I've been at my home for a long time, so (laughs) I'm always at home. Yeah. Are you getting out at all? I mean, I know you mentioned the other day that you, you know, gone to the grocery store, but are you getting I mean, out? I go all? on walks and sometimes, you know, I try to go support local businesses and um, like after this, you know, I'm going to kind of celebrate the weekend and there's this brewery about a mile away that has a drive through open right now. Really? So yeah, I'm going to go do that. But okay. it's been, you know, other than I guess errands and whatnot, it's been a lot of time at home, which I guess, you know, I'm lucky I can do that, but it does, it does get old. Yeah. I like the idea of that drive through brewery. You know, the, I guess the ABLE commission has allowed businesses to, you know, if you do take a, or a to go orders, uh, takeout, they, you can also order alcohol too now. Yeah. So, um, I think that's something that we, you know, governor state has talked about us being innovative innovation. And doing th- yeah. Yeah. Doing things now that can continue past this pandemic. I think that, that that's, that's my early nomination for innovation that continues. See, that's the one thing I would be okay with, you know, <laughs> remaining the same after this pandemic starts kind of winding down is the to-go beers. So yeah. more access to alcohol. That's the lesson from all this, I suppose. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, let's let's get into the actual news of the day. So recording on Friday and Friday morning, Governor Stitt held a press conference with some other health officials in Tulsa. And this was the first time we'd really heard some specifics about the modeling that the state is looking at. And in fact, Governor Stitt mentioned a date in which he said we could possibly see our peak here in the state. Right. So, you know, we've been talking about 
you know, that modeling a lot in past episodes. And yeah, today we finally got a look at it. So at the press conference, the governor was referencing a lot of that um, national modeling from IHME, but he was also referencing, you know, the state modeling. So he's kind of relying on both for his decision making is what a spokeswoman told me earlier today. And the IHME model does have some differences from the state's modeling, which I'll get into a little bit here in a minute. Um, But, you know, and I always say this, but before I talk about the modeling, I will, you know, point out again that they're not a crystal ball and, you know, there's no perfect models and they're very fluid. So the state's modeling projects 469 deaths and 9,300 confirmed cases by May 1st. So, you know, it's April 10th, so that's about less than three weeks away now. And that would be about 18 deaths per day if that model does end up being correct. And um, a little caveat here, the model assumes that the state continues social distancing measures until May 1st. Um, But the IHME model that the governor has been referencing in the past, uh, it estimates 549 deaths by May 1st and then 965 by August 1st. Mm. Um, go ahead. No, I said the go- so the governor mentioned today a date of August 21st. Is that right? Is that is that the, the peak that he targeted or am well, I wrong about peak. that? I, I feel like he mentioned that date. Yeah. So the peak is actually, let me pull it up. It's the end of April. Okay. So And that's pretty similar to the IHME model as well. Um, So in the next two, two and a half weeks is when we'll probably see that peak. Um, And, you know, so that's the height of the patient surge. But then, you know, it'll start hopefully falling off after that. You know, another thing that the governor said and his members of his task force had said today was, that while the cases are going to go up, and obviously we know that's the case, but and we're going to see, you know, more demand for for healthcare and, and hospitals, that the state says that we have the capacity. So when it comes to hospital beds, ICU beds, ventilators, the governor seemed pretty confident on Friday that Oklahoma was more than equipped to handle a surge. Right. Yeah, he was pretty optimistic about that. Um, so. The state rolled out its hospital surge plans this morning, which is Friday, and um, the governor said, I think, twice over the last day that he was cautiously optimistic about hospitalizations being flat for, I think it was the last 11 days. But, you know, the state is expecting that patient peak, so we know that isn't going to last for long. Um, So I won't go through all the specific numbers just because there's so many and I feel like it doesn't translate super well over podcast, um, but he said the state has well above the number of hospital beds and ICU beds and ventilators that might be needed. The IHME model, for example, predicts the state will need 236 ventilators and worst case scenario, more than 700. But uh, Stitt said the state has 1,800, so... It looks like, um, as far as the modeling goes, the state should be pretty well equipped for that. Yeah. And, and we also had some other officials, uh, including one from the state's hospital association, kind of talk about the, the plan to have uh, some COVID-19 specific hospitals in Tulsa and Oklahoma mm-hmm. City. And then also a little bit about kind of a regional plan on, on what it looks like to maybe, you know, the state has the beds, but maybe 
you know, the majority of them are going to be in Tulsa and Oklahoma City. And so what do you do if you start to see a surge Mm -hmm. in some other parts? Can you can you talk a little bit about what we heard today or on Friday related to that? Sure. So the regional plan, it looks like, like you said, the state does have the capacity, but it looks like, you know, there needs to be someone or some group kind of managing where the capacity can be best used for certain patients. So, for example, like you said, uh, the OHA president, Patty Davis, she was talking about the regional plans uh, for the hospitals. And she kind of said, you know, if a patient is in a more rural hospital and might have COVID-19, you know, that hospital would be equipped to care for that patient. But if they get to a certain critical point and do need a higher level of care, they might be transferred to Tulsa and Oklahoma City. But at the same time, you know, as they're seeing more COVID-19 patients in Tulsa and Oklahoma City, if there is a patient who could, you know, get by on a lower level of care, they might be transferred to one of those more rural hospitals outside of the metro. Hmm. So it's kind of, you know, a lot of there's enough beds, but I guess they need to be utilized in a smart and efficient way, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, definitely. And and like I mentioned, we heard that there was going to be, I think, a total of four hospitals. Mm-hmm. Well, well, one, well, two hospitals specific to COVID patients, one in Oklahoma City, one in Tulsa, and then also hospitals for non-COVID patients to kind of help, you know, the continuation of care that would happen under normal circumstances and is, and is right. continuing to happen. So we know the location of the Tulsa one, but we don't know yet of on Oklahoma City. Is that right? Right. That's right. And I should mention that um, OU Medicine and, you know, location has been announced by speaking of Oklahoma City, they announced their surge plans today. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if they were somehow involved in being one of those hospitals because they have, you know, upped their capacity a significant amount as far as how they can care for COVID-19 patients and non-COVID-19 patients as well. Um, They had been in the process of constructing a medical tower, uh, multiple floors since 2017. And that was supposed to be open in November, but they're pushing that to June so they can prepare for the surge. So, you know, I I wouldn't be surprised if in the coming days we heard something from them about maybe being involved in this regional plan. It seems like every week we have, you know, at least one day that's kind of a, signif- a significant day in what information we hear from the governor and the Department of Health. I think two weeks ago it was his initial order to uh, do to shut down non-essential businesses and cases and counties with cases of the coronavirus. I thought last week it was the governor saying, "Hey, now we have the testing capacity to test everyone who who wants a test or needs a test." And and then today or Friday, being the state's message was, "This is going to get worse, but we have a plan and we feel like we're in good shape." Now, of course, that's yet to be seen, and we're going to continue to to look at the numbers and look at the details to see if the state truly is in a position to handle this surge. But at least the message today from the governor was was a positive one of saying mm-hmm. that, you know, not that he was saying, you know, mission accomplished and we've got this under control, but he just he was cautiously optimistic that that the work of the last few weeks with his task force has resulted in the state being in a, in a pretty good position to handle um, what they think is going to be the worst of this. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, even though we know the modeling's fluid, I do think it's comforting to people to know, you know, that we do have those resources available to us. And it sounds like, you know, again, as long as the modeling does pan out how they think it's going to, that the hospitals, you know, even if they do have to expand their capacity, 
it looks like, you know, they can or are going to be able to handle that first peak. And moving forward, OU Medicine kind of talked about this today on a statewide basis, but, you know, they also talked about the possibility of there being another peak later this year. So, you know, hospitals are looking pretty far ahead. And I think everyone's just prepared for the worst and hoping for the best. Yeah. And that's relevant because we've been hearing in recent days that the president has said he would, you know, like to open the country back up, so to speak, by mm-hmm. the end of April. In a lot of ways, that's not his decision to make. I mean, as we're seeing, these are these are state decisions to close you know, businesses and schools and to keep sure. people in their homes. Uh, so this would seem to say that at least in Oklahoma that we'll be going past that date. Uh, with with a lot of these measures. You know, I also think it's important to mention, and trust me, I, I'm not trying to, you know, pat the governor on the bat. That's not my mm-hmm. job. You know, a couple of days ago at a press conference, he actually credited a few outlets, including ours, um, that he thought was doing a good job of getting data out. Uh, I appreciated the shout out, but he, you know, he referred to us as our, his media partners, you know, not not a big fan of that. Of, of that <laughs> word. So I'm not, this is not me trying to be a partner in that capacity. Mm-hmm. But Early on, Governor Stitt was really criticized for what people thought was not taking this seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, we all know the infamous tweet that this that kind of started out with, and then you know, not going to a shelter-in-place order, which he technically has not yet, mm-hmm. but you know, but initially making the order in 19 counties. But we've consistently seen the governor come out and refer to modeling and the science of this issue. And today we heard those specifics. And I think that's important. I mean, I think it's good. I think it's good to continue to see the governor point to the health officials and mm-hmm. researchers that are around him. And we don't know all you know, the behind the scenes conversations, but at least from the public, he continues to point to the data. And I think that's I think that's important. I mean, I think that's that's an important step. Right. Yeah, definitely. I know there's still, you know, those um, you know, officials who are still critical of the governor for not issuing a statewide stay at home order, you know, or shelter in place order. But, you know, to his credit, you know, despite, you know, even, you know, with his, what his mindset might be around this, he has, it seems depended on people, you know, experts who are more, I guess, savvy in this area than he is and kind of leaned on them to make his decisions. And like you said, you know, the state model that he pulled out today. Um, and he did say, you know, that even though things are looking a little optimistic, that it's still really important that people continue with their social distancing numbers. So we've seen, well, at least I've seen a lot of conversation this week since those predictions are kind of flattening a little bit, those curves are flattening around the country, that people think that COVID-19 was overhyped. You know, they're like, okay, let's open everything back up. Like, this isn't as bad as we thought it was. But the reason we're seeing those numbers is because we're putting those social distancing policies in place. So I think the governor, you know, recognizes that, that clearly, you know, the social distancing measures are evidence-based. And, you know, he's wanting to continue those at least until the end of April. And I guess we'll see if he reassesses it Yeah. Uh, then. You know, I, I think it was last week I was listening to a podcast from 5:38, and they were talking to a couple of journalists who were covering this issue mm-hmm. across the country. And they referenced a study, and I haven't seen the study, but they referenced it as saying that that the study was saying that maybe the shelter and home orders aren't necessarily that effective. Now, mm-hmm. the reason they said it wasn't as effective is because you can't get everyone to 
obey it. So I, I wonder as I, as I look out, um, you know, I went to the grocery store this morning, you know, right after it opened. So there wasn't too many people out, but by Mm -hmm. the time I left, I mean, the streets were still kind of full. And I, I told you yesterday, I went down to Norman and the highway was still pretty congested as it normally is. It, I don't know how much, I, I'm not saying we shouldn't have a shelter in place order. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not taking an opinion on that, but I wonder how much different it would look in Oklahoma if the governor said, I'm officially declaring a shelter in place order. Yeah, that's a great question. That's something I've been kind of wondering about as well, but I think that's a reason, you know, the IHME model, and I guess a lot of other models have kind of caught a lot of, um, you know, critics because they're depending on, they're really calculating the stay-at-home orders and their, um, and their modeling. And as we know, a lot of people don't stay home. So, um, yeah, I, I'm interested to see how that plays out. And, you know, I, I honestly don't know if it would change anything if the governor issued a stay-at-home order. Yeah. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. And I'm not saying that that because people wouldn't obey that that's a reason to not do something. I I, I don't necessarily think that's a good argument. I just I just wonder how how much it would look different. And if the modeling is showing that there is some impact from the action we're taking, I mean, that's a good thing. And um, and we need to obviously continue to to follow along. Uh, You know, something else that was discussed in the press conference on Friday that I wanted to talk to you about was. There were still there were there continue to be questions about Oklahomans being able to access coronavirus tests. We we talked we talked about this yesterday. We've talked about this before that the state it continues to say that they are in a position to give everyone who needs a test a test, and essentially everyone who kind of wants a test to get it, or at least the capacity for testing for testing is higher than the demand is when it comes to those that are going to the more than seventy mobile testing mm-hmm. sites and to county health uh, offices. But we heard today questions about, you know, from reporters who said that they continue to hear from people who say they're not getting the test. Uh, you shared a tweet with me from uh, Mayor Bynum in Tulsa, who was saying that there is still a shortage of tests. Uh, what's going on, Cassie? Because the, the state continues to say they have the capacity to test more and the numbers seem to bear that out. But we still hear people say they're not they're not able to access the, the tests. Yeah, and that's something that I wish I had an answer to. Um, So, yeah, like you said, the state has opened up 70 mobile sites. You know, it seems like there's plenty of reagents, plenty of testing materials, um, you know, at least on the lab side for running these tests. And then we hear comments from, I think it was the, uh, the Tulsa Health Department today that they're still, they're still having trouble getting supplies. And I don't know if those supplies are you know, the swabs that are needed to collect the specimens or, you know, reagents. I don't know where the bottleneck is kind of slowing that down because it does sound like, you know, the governor keeps saying there's plenty of testing, there's plenty of supplies. But, and I know you've heard anecdotes too of people Mm -hmm. saying they can't get tested. So I don't know if it's an issue with the doctors, an issue, you know, if there's actually an issue with county health departments and cities not being able to you know, get the supplies they need to collect um, samples from people. And, you know, that's just something that I'm going to have to look further into because I I want an answer too. Yeah. And 
the governor seems perplexed by this because, every, mm-hmm. you know, he was I wouldn't say that he was frustrated on Friday. But at one point when he got asked the question again, he said, listen, I, I'm telling you, we have the test. So if anybody has a problem, they need to call. I think it, it what's at the 211 number that that Oklahomans are encouraged to call if they're if they're having an issue with getting a test. And we've talked about before, there's a difference between the, the, the test that the state are providing and then the test that uh, clinics and doctor's offices are are offering. And it's a little bit harder to know what what someone is able to access when they go see their their doctor, right? I mean, we don't necessarily know, we don't have great data on what that looks like or what those mm-hmm. conversations look like or which doctors are saying, sure, here's a test or, or others that are saying, I don't think you need it or I don't have the swab. And those are the ones that are being sent to private labs. But the STIT and other health officials continue to say, you know, we believe we have enough tests. So if there's a problem, we need to know about it because, you know, we have we have the capacity to to test more. Right. And like you said, it kind of does seem like the governor doesn't really know where that hold up, I guess, is either. And, you know, I think it's just something that if we're, you know, if we want to dig up an answer, we're going to have to talk to those people who are getting denied testing and, you know, talk to those county health departments who say that they can't get tested and, Hopefully we can smooth it out and maybe get some communication going. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Thursday I was at a press event at the Cleveland County mobile side in Norman mm-hmm. and, you know, and cars were flowing in to get tested. And, and granted, I mean, they're not going to hold a media event at a testing site that's limited on the supplies right. or is having to turn people away. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's the best example, but it, but it is an example, at least that I've seen, where where people were able to to get the test. And, and I hesitate to say there's a test for everyone who wants it because I don't think that's how state officials would put it. They're mm-hmm. continuing to say, if you've come in contact with a known case or you have somewhat severe symptoms, you need to get tested. But it seems that you can go to these mobile testing sites and you're not necessarily having to prove in any real way that you have the symptoms that you say you have. It seems like those who mm-hmm. want to test are getting it. So, uh, right. yeah, so continue to, those are going to be questions that are they're going to need to continue to be asked here in, in the days forward. Uh, before we wrap up, something else I wanted to mention. Mm-hmm. There was a question asked at the presser, um, and I can't remember who the health official was that, that fielded this question, but but the question was about uh, people who have died yeah. that have not, that are not counted as coronavirus-related deaths. Maybe they, they passed away at their home and there wasn't an autopsy done, but and you maybe remember who this official was. Like I said, I can't mm-hmm. remember who the health official was, but she essentially said that we don't know how many, but yes, we do believe that there have been some deaths that are not, that are, that are, were caused by the coronavirus, but we have not counted them. Right. Yeah. And that was the head of the OSU medical center. And I apologize to her because I do not remember her name right off the top of my head. Uh, but, you know, we have been seeing in, you know, stories from New York city, Um, about people dying in their homes. And a lot of the times, you know, they're dying from cardiac issues. So that has been a concern nationwide with not, you know, capturing everyone who's actually dying from causes related to COVID-19. So, you know, we could be seeing that in Oklahoma as well. But right now, there's really no way for us to know. Yeah. And I don't get the impression that it's a huge number. I mean, you know, I don't know what a huge number would be, but but yeah, it just—I think it just speaks to once again. There's, this is a, a complicated issue, and and there's going to be 
some impact that we're not necessarily always able to count. Right, exactly. And I think that's something, you know, COVID-19, even when cases start, I guess, dwindling down and things calm down a little bit, this is something that reporters are going to be looking at for years to come, you know, just the consequences of this. And I think, you know, those deaths that might not be getting captured right now, you know, I think that's going to be one of those things we look back on and um, write about. Yeah, no, definitely. It, it will it will change quite a bit uh, in how we live and, and how how us as journalists do do our job. So, well, hey, Cassie, before I let you go, um, we're headed into the weekend. And yes. but Monday will be here before we know it, if that even means anything anymore. But <laughs> what, what will you be? What are some things that you're going to be looking at in the, in the days and weeks to come? Yeah, I'm actually really I don't know if you're talking about my personal life, but that's what I'm going to talk about right now. Because <laughs> I'm really excited. It's it. Friday. But, you know, I think just today I'm just going to take it easy for a while and I'm going to try to take the day off tomorrow. And I hope you are as well, because it's just been so hectic lately that I think it's just good to take, you know, check in with yourself and do some downtime. Uh, But outside of that, you know, just I think going back to work probably on Sunday, it's going to be looking more at testing and, um, you know, maybe a little bit more of the, I guess, processes behind the modeling. What about you? Well, personally, I've got a, and we're not going to have an episode for Sunday, so we are going to take a day off. We'll be back on Monday. But personally, I've got a, a brisket I'm going to smoke, um, spend, the, spend my time in my backyard smoking a brisket with some beer. And uh, but, but professionally, I think one of the things that I'm going to be taking a look at in the, in the days to come is trying to get some more answers about how the, uh, the CARE Act stimulus funds are going to be funneling to schools. Uh, there's there's quite a bit of money coming to public schools that are going to be funneled through the State Department of Education, and schools are going to have a lot of flexibility in how they can spend this money, and we're still learning about what that looks like because it's just a very complicated formula and complicated bill, but there are some interesting things in it that I think are going to be worth uh, taking a look at. Another thing I'm going to be doing is I I put in a records request for all of the distance learning plans that had to be submitted by school districts to, to the state mm-hmm. department of ed to my surprise i got them all this week oh, wow. and, That's great. and so that there it is great until you consider the fact that there are 500 plus school districts in the state so yeah. i need to <laughs> i need to figure out a how i'm going to go about going through these and then mm-hmm. b what is what is the information that i'm going to be trying to glean from these um to try to get a better picture of just kind of how schools are, are handling the social distancing so uh I'll, I'll, that can that can wait for a couple of days but mm-hmm. uh so tomorrow i'll just be doing some 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 smoking in the backyard and, and trying to trying to enjoy my saturday yeah definitely enjoy your saturday before you get tied up in 500 pages minimum yeah. i'm guessing they're not just one page <laughs> no they're not I mean, and it's very organized i have to say i was very i didn't i put in this request and i had no idea i thought i was going to get maybe a trickle each week but i i got a i got a, a a dropbox with them all in there so they're they're as organized as i could hope um but yeah there, there will still be some uh some heavy lifting on my part to go through it so well hey cassie enjoy your saturday and uh i'll talk to you again on sunday take care ben That's going to do it for today's episode. You can find complete COVID-19 coverage at readfrontier.org. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder. Stay safe and healthy. I'll be back with you on Monday.